you know, our, our grandson has taught us that we are to um, smell the flowers and blow out the candles. He's in kindergarten. And so if he feels that anybody's getting a little tense or upset, he'll say, don't forget, living a life without hurry. I'm, I'm really excited about this for several reasons. One is I need it. And what we are teaching here and over the next, um, the next nine weeks together, we're going to have the opportunity to put some things into place that really help us to become spiritually formed. Spiritual formation is the process of the Holy Spirit transformation that equips followers of Christ to become spiritually formed into the image of Jesus. And isn't that what we all want? We want to look like Jesus. And that process, we call it spiritual formation. We all know what it's like to try to um, tame our bodies, don't we? Almost every January, we look in the mirror and we think, well, we need to lose this Christmas weight. All those extra goodies. This year, I'm going to be fit. This year, I'm going to do this. This year, I'm... And so we know what that's like. And we know what it's like to, to make some goals for our intellect. I'm going to read a book. Several of my friends have made statements, even putting it out on Facebook. I'm going to do a book, a book a month or two books a month. I'm going to read this year. We start off pretty strong. You know, I read a survey this year that said 90% of Americans who start off the year with some kind of goal fail, usually by the third month. Well, what we're going to talk about over the next weeks together is how we become spiritually formed. And I pray that, that we're going to share some things with you that just don't become a goal in your life, but you actually incorporate them into your life. You know, no one has to remind me to get up in the morning and um, make a cup of coffee. There's no note that said, don't forget your coffee today. It's just there. And I want some of these things in our lives to be that kind of um, embodied in who we are, that we just do them because they're the right things and they connect us to God. I want you to look at this for a moment. If we were... Um, had a bunch of kids here. We might even do hand motions with this. But being spiritually formed up, we're going to be with Jesus. We're going to spend time with him. We're going to allow his presence just to permeate who we are. In, we're going to become like Jesus. It's not just um, saying the right kind of words. It's truly becoming like him, learning how to think like he thinks and, and act and speak like he does out doing what Jesus did. Some of what he did were great miracles, and that's the theme of this house for 24. But sometimes Jesus went off to the mountain and prayed by himself. So we want to learn what Jesus did, and we want to follow it, and then with following Jesus together. And so over the next nine weeks, we're going to take this journey together as we become more spiritually formed. Now, spiritual formation 
is the action of God in our lives. It's the Holy Spirit transformation. It's not just simply saying things. It's having those words become a part of who we are, and that's what the Holy Spirit does. You know, I often say when I study, I'm putting things into my mind, right? But it's the Holy Spirit that pulls it down to my heart. And it's that's the process of spiritual formation. Discipleship, on the other hand, is our response to God's actions and guidance in our lives. It's, it's obeying the word and doing it together. Discipleship's about relationship with God and with others. Spiritual formation has to do with that intimacy with God and allowing Holy Spirit to do something. So tonight, if you have your Bibles, where you might want to mark this up a bit, we are going to tear apart just one verse. And I'm going to do the best I can to, um, uh, to do this justice. But Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, we're reading in the NLT. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us l run with endurance the race that God has set before us. I want to read this again from a Greek translation. Therefore, since we ourselves have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, and what he's talking about really begins in Hebrews chapter 11. We call that the, the hall of fame of faith, right? All of these tremendous Bible characters who did great things for God are listed in that. But what the writer of Hebrews is saying, I believe, is that I want you to know that they were human and they were just like you. And they did these things because God worked through them because they were spiritually formed. Those are the great cloud of witnesses. And let us lay aside every impediment and the sin that so easily distracts. And let us run with endurance the race that is prescribed for us. Father, we just thank you for your word. God, we thank you tonight. And I pray um, that you would speak to us. Lord, the picture that I just keep getting, even as I, as I pray every morning, is that we would have big ears that our ears would be so big and so fine-tuned that we would hear your voice. I pray that you would block out every noise and every other voice that's not from you. Speak to us tonight, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to look at a few of these words so that we can really understand this. And the first one is cloud. The word is nephos, that's the Greek word. Now, in ancient Greek culture, the word clouds that was used to describe the highest seats in the bleachers of a stadium. Has anybody ever sat in the nosebleed section? Yeah, once we thought we had great tickets. <laughs> and then you walk up and you walk up and you think, oh, this is the section. No, it's not. And you keep going. And it's kind of steep. And you look down and it's, it's a little of uh, a little scary. Um, I think, is there a picture here? Yeah. This is, um, this is actually a stadium in, uh, in Greece. 
Dan and I had the opportunity to see this um, in our in our trip last year. And um, if you'll notice, they're not very comfy either. <laughs> and you can really pack them in. You can see from the people how high up that is. And so when they would use this expression um, about the clouds, we're surrounded by, by such a great cloud of witnesses, what they're talking about is that the whole stadium is filled. And it goes all the way up to the cloud seats. That's the kind of, of uh, witnesses. These seats um, are so incredibly high. And what, what the writer of Hebrews is saying, and I I'm going to keep saying that tonight because we really don't know who wrote Hebrews. You might be in the Paul camp. There might be some other apostle that wrote um, Hebrews. There's actually biblical scholars that think uh, Priscilla wrote Hebrews. Priscilla and Aquila, who helped to disciple Paul. And that's why her name is not in there, because, well, we all know the book wouldn't have made it in the canon without that. It's a nice thought. It's one I like. But um, that's, that's what we're surrounded by. Think about you being in the center of this picture. You're down at the bottom. You're in life. You're going to work, you're going to church, you're praying, and you are completely surrounded. The word surrounded, um, peri akamai, the word peri means to be around, to be completely encircled by something. And the word kamai means to lie down. When you put it together, this word means to be completely surrounded by something that's stacked high on every side. Now, we don't typically think about this, at least I don't during the day, but the Bible says, now, therefore, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. We're, we're at the bottom of that stadium, and the entire stadium is full of people who have already made it. They're full of people who have lived by faith. They're full of people who perhaps are cheering us on from heaven. I, I don't know. The very first race I ran uh, it was in Massachusetts, and um, I'll never forget. I wasn't very well trained. It was I, I didn't know what to expect. It was only a 5K, which is 3.1 miles. They had just uh, re um, asked, put down brand new asphalt, and the day was hot, and we ran on the road, and it was hot. And I guess my shoes weren't as good as I thought they were because I could, like, feel the heat. And I remember coming around that corner. Now, we did this as a fundraiser as a youth group. And I was the youth pastor. And I came around the corner, and I'm like, oh, it's going to be so embarrassing if I end up crawling over that line. <laughs> and as I, as I rounded the corner up by the church, I'll never forget there's this older man, Brother Lane. He was 90 years old. He had such bad knees, he was sitting in a chair, and he had a cane. And in this lawn chair, as he saw me come, and he raised that cane, and he said, come on, Pastor Dana, come on, you can do it. And um, I thought, there is no way I'm going to let Brother Lane down. And all of a sudden, something surged in me, and I was able to finish that race and to do it well. By well, I meant I, I was standing. <laughs> Do you see the writer is telling us here, we are surrounded. 
when you're out there and you feel like you're all alone, Rick Renner, who writes a lot of um, Greek commentary, he said this is the way you could, uh, you could um, write this scripture. You're not alone. The grandstands of heaven all the way up to the clouds, the highest seats in the bleachers are piled high with people who stood the test of time and eventually saw their faith manifested. How often do we feel like I'm out here all alone? I'm fighting this fight all alone. There's, there's nobody who understands. That is such a lie from the enemy. Heaven is filled with people who understand. They're filled with people who, who have fought impossible odds and seen God come through to them. And sometimes we just need in our, in our mind's eye to look up and say, okay, if Daniel can be thrown into a lion's den, I can go to work tomorrow. Right? If God could shut the mouth of that lion, God can make a way for me. And we need to hold on to those things. Knowing that we are not alone gives us the courage to go on when the race gets tough. We can see that others just like us have made it, and so can we. The next word that we want to read. Now, therefore, since we ourselves have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside. What does it mean to lay aside? Well, this word means, um, or presents a picture would be a better way to say it, of someone who's laying down something and then pushing it far away and out of reach. See, how many of us sometimes have laid down a burden? Right here, almost on top of our foot. And then we wonder, why am I still thinking about this? Why am I still fretting about this? But to lay aside means I'm going to lay it aside, but I am pushing it out of the way. I'm pushing it all the way over here. It's no longer a part of my life. So I'm running this race. I'm surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. What am I going to lay aside? What am I going to push out of the way? Well, look at the word impediment. On cost. This word refers to a weight or a burden, something heavy or cumbersome, and was used in the athletic world to signify the actions of an athlete who would deliberately strip himself of excess weight before participating in a competition. I can remember um, when I was training for a marathon. I was determined I was going to run 15 miles this one day, and I took a bottle of water. I got to about a mile, maybe the 11th mile. I'm telling you, that water, it felt like it weighed 10 pounds. It was just a little bottle of water. And I remember I found a bush, and I knew I would return back by this bush, and I laid my water bottle down because it was too much to carry. Just the weight of carrying that thing and hearing it slosh, it was just too much. What I discovered, and I, I, I heard, um, I believe Francis Chan mentioned this, in the Greek world, when they would be running, they would have these great competitions, and this is what Paul is, is referring to, the, the um, um, actually at this time it would be the Romans, when they would run a race, you know, they might start off with a short little toga. 
and that even feels too much once you get going. And they would just keep stripping stuff off as they're running. Aren't you glad we don't do that today? Hey, I let my water bottle go, but everything else is going to stay. I want you to understand that some of the things that could be impediments in our lives are not sin. They're just things that we shouldn't be carrying. And it might be different for each one of us. Maybe it's the kind of music that you listen to or the kind of things that you read or what you watch on TV. Maybe it's, it's those things that, that God is saying, I want you to lay it aside and I want you to push it way far away because it's just not good for you. Maybe it's a, a hobby or a friendship or, or maybe it's our phone. Esther was telling me this week that when she gets up in the morning, she doesn't even want to look at it. Because as soon as we look at it, what do we do? You know, we kind of turn it over and say, oh, isn't it amazing how many people post Facebook stuff all night? <laughs> I want us to understand that if we're in this race and our eyes are fixed on Jesus, which comes in the next verse, if our eyes are fixed on Jesus, anything, anything that's an impediment, anything that's a weight, we need to lay it aside and make sure it's far enough away that we don't go back and get it. Listen, when we toss things and you're, you're running a, a race and you toss something, we toss water cups, we toss all, you know, whatever they, whatever they give us. Drink a little bit, and then you just toss it. I'm not looking for a trash can. Um, if I'm really running that race, I'm just tossing it. And I think you understand what I'm saying. I don't ever go back and pick it up. And God is calling us to do that. The athlete of the ancient world didn't become unweighted by accident. He dropped all excess weight on purpose. He dieted, he exercised, he shed every other unnecessary weight he could find to shed. This stripping process demanded his attention, his decision, and his devotion. It wasn't going to happen by accident. So he had to initiate the process of removal. One of the things we're going to learn as we, as we journey in this study together is that is that one of the greatest impediments that you and I have is hurry. Dallas Willard said, hurry is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life in our day. We must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. Corey Ten Boom once said that if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. And the famous psychologist Carl Jung said, hurry is not of the devil. Hurry is the devil. An interesting survey, the Charleston Southern University School of Business conducted the Obstacles to Growth Survey. And they surveyed over 20,000 Christians across the globe and identified busyness as a major distraction from spiritual life. This is what they concluded. 
It may be the case that, one, Christians are assimilating to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, which leads to, two, God becoming more marginalized in Christians' lives, which leads to, three, a deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to, four, Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live, which leads to, five, more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload. And then the cycle begins again. I believe that God is calling us to be different. The kingdom operates in a completely different way. Jesus did a lot of things. He healed a lot of people. There were a lot of miracles. But he was never in a hurry. Even on the way to heal somebody, he stopped and had another conversation. He was never in a hurry. He never got to the point of burnout or overload because he took the time to, to steal away with God. And that's what, that's what we want to do. So not only are we going to lay aside those impediments, those things that aren't good for us, the distractions and the hurry, but we're going to lay aside the sin. Harmardia, this word refers to both the state of sin in which we're all born into and the specific sins we commit against God, ourselves, and others. Do you know the secrets we don't expose will continue to grow and rule over us? And we can use hurry to cover up sin, to push it aside and distract us from confession. If I make myself so busy, I don't think about my sin. You know, I can make myself busy doing really good things. Let's look at this verse again. Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every impediment and the sin that so easily distracts, easily distracts us. That word is a combination, actually, of three words. The first one means well or good. The second one means around, and the third means to stand. And when you put them all together, it describes something that comfortably stands around you, such as a comfortable environment. How easy it is to be comfortable with complacency. Most people who are really complacent or even apathetic, they would say, no, I'm not. I'm just living. This is just life. This is just the way it is. That's the kind of distraction that we want to move away from. I don't want to be comfortable where I am. I don't want to stay stuck in this place. God has a race for me to, win, to, to um, run, which leads us to our next word, run, treco, to run purposefully, intentionally, and hard. One foot is never down at the same time as the other. You know, when both feet are down, you're not running. It's just impossible. You can fall, but you can't run. And that's what that word means. That one foot is always up and that we're intentional. And I love this next word. How are we to run? With endurance. 
hypomone. The word hypo means under, and the verb meno means to abide. Together they mean endurance and patience and steadfastness. In this verse, this endurance produces a strengthening that comes from bearing under a heavy weight for extended periods of time. Most of us do not seek to abide under suffering or under a heavy weight when it comes our way. Instead, we seek a normal way out, which is the way of, of humanity. Now, Paul's referring here to, to running a race, which was very, very common among the Romans. They have these races. But I think about athletes in general. A game lasts for a very short time. The preparation for that game is hours. Right? If you're in football, you just don't show up and say, I think I'm going to play. Have you been to the weight room? Have you done your two-a-days? Are you showing up? Are you eating the right kinds of things? Are, is your head in the game? If you're playing basketball, you just don't say, hey, I think I could dribble. It can't be that hard. Man, you are out there running because it takes endurance. You're in the fourth quarter. You've got to give it all you've got. You've got to have that kind of stamina in the fourth quarter as you do in the first. But when you get out on the, on the playing field or on the court, you're not bringing all your weights. You're not bringing all of the equipment that you use to train. You're showing up. I want us to understand that when we're spiritually formed, we're going to talk about some of those things that are going to help us develop spiritual muscles. Some of those things that are going to help us develop intimacy with God and that kind of endurance. Because, listen, we're in a, we're in a fight here. And we know the king has already won. And we're surrounded by other people who have made it. But I don't want to walk out onto the court unprepared. I don't want to walk out onto the court without the right kind of shoes, not ready to go. Listen, my um, enemy, <laughs> the enemy of my soul, he hates me. And he's, he's uh, walking around seeing where I'm weak. So I want to go into the train. I want to go into the weight room. I want to lift. I want to lift this year heavier weights than I ever have. I want to run further than I've ever run. I want to be prepared for for what's coming, so that when I go out onto the court, I know that I am in sync with the Holy Spirit, because Jesus is strong in me. That's what this kind of endurance means. Now listen. I did not realize this until this particular study, but the word for race is agona. We get an English word from that. It's called agony. See, this word means to struggle or to wrestle. It means there's an intensity going on here. But we don't give up. And one of the reasons we don't give up is because we know that we're surrounded by people who have made it. It's possible. And the Holy Spirit is there to give us that strength. And then the last one, I love this. The race that's been prescribed for us. This is a compound word again, and it means um, 
a race course that's been predetermined for you by someone else, and that someone else is Jesus. See, my race course might look different from you, but I don't have to worry. One of the things that when I first started racing, I, w I felt really panicked about, like, what if I get on the race course and I don't know where to go? That, that caused a lot of anxiety to me. I remember doing the first um, rock and roll half marathon down at the oceanfront. I memorized that race course because I'm afraid, what if I get there and I, you know, I end up in Pungo? That's scary. But what I found is there are people all along the way telling me where to go because there's a prescribed course. And I just had to follow where everybody else was going and where people were telling me to go. The race that's been set for you, Jesus has prescribed it. He wrote it down already. He knows exactly where you need to go, where the turns are, where the water stops are, where the places are that you can go and rest, where you can change your socks so that you don't get blisters on your feet. He's got the whole thing planned. I'm not looking at your race or your race or yours. I'm looking at the one that's been set for me. Now, over the next eight weeks, we're going to examine some practices that are going to help us to throw off those weights, the impediments that trip us up, so that we can run the race um, set before us, starting and ending well. You know, anybody can start a race well. Anybody can, can suit up for a game. But we want to finish victoriously. So we're going to look at things like silence and solitude. We're going to look at what it means to really observe the Sabbath. We're going to look at simplicity and what it means to, to move slowly through life. It doesn't mean that we're not going to accomplish things, but we're going to learn to live without hurry. Walter Adams says to walk with Jesus is to walk with a slow, unhurried pace. Hurry is the death of prayer and only impedes and spoils our work. It never advances it. Aren't you thankful for that tonight? That God knew our culture and he has provided us a way to live counterculturally. Over the next uh, weeks together, we're going to be looking at some things that we're getting from this book. We are looking at scripture. Uh, John Mark Comer, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Some of you might want to get it and read it. Um, I'll tell you uh, the foreword and the, um, uh, the end of the book and every page in between is convicting. Uh, just to give you a heads up. Uh, tonight, there on the back table, there are some um, quizzes. If you want to know if you have hurry sickness, if hurry has invaded your life, you might want to pick one up and, um, and look at it. But let's take this moment and pray. Father, we thank you. <laughs> God, we thank you that you have designed a race course for us. Lord, a race course that we can run with diligence and endurance. A race course, Father, that is, has been um, hand-designed by the God of the universe. And Holy Spirit, you want to infuse us with that kind of endurance so that we'll run this race well. And Father, I pray tonight that we would begin this, this series with an open heart for whatever you might have. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
Thank you for joining us online tonight.